Hello, hello, and welcome to Hometown Daily. Season 2, episode 323 for November 19th, 2023. Tonight we're going to be discussing the rift between profit and pure research. How about play it again, Sam? How rivers provide drinking water? We shape AI. AI shapes us. We shape us. Why do you keep watching yourself? AI is suited for these tasks. The priciest bottle of whiskey. IVF for coral means things are pretty bad. Overdue library book returns. And taking the AP exam. Next on Hometown Daily. Hello, everybody. I am Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. Oh, that is hometown.com. And I'm. I was pointing in two different directions. <laughs> and up above is the visualizer for the sentient AI. You want to say hello, oh great and wise and powerful one. Good evening, hometown citizens. So we've got all 10 of our articles all set up. We might as well go over them and, you know, why waste that time with preamble and whatever kind of banter. Do we have any? I don't know. Maybe, we have you know, no banter. We have no banter. <laughs> we have no game. Um, oh, my lights are out down below. Mm. Yeah, that's okay. So let's get into today's articles. Tonight is kind of a test run on what will be Reality Hacker. Um, there, are, We are pretty heavy on AI um, and other things that are related. And so we will, uh, I'm going to consider this kind of a test run for Reality Hacker, which will probably end up being a Sunday night show. <clears throat> but we have a little bit of time before we actually kick it off. Um, so we'll evaluate after today. If you're interested in virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, <clears throat> and in general, manipulating reality to the point where you don't know who to trust, which is kind of the motto for Reality Hacker, um, keep in touch, sign up uh, over at hometown.com, be a citizen of hometown, and you'll be informed when a new show launches. And every time a show launches <clears throat> here on Twitch, pardon me, um, if you sign up here on Twitch uh, and follow us here, you'll be notified here. If you go over to YouTube, you'll be notified when a new episode drops. And of course, downloading the podcast, Discord, Patreon, a carrier pigeon. Yeah, we don't use carrier pigeons. Anyway, we're a high tech community. And so we focused on science, technology and society. So if you're into that, even more so stick around. Um, that said, <clears throat> let's get into today's articles. Uh, the very first article is over in hometown today. Uh, sorry, in <laughs> technology today. Everything is in hometown. Um, let me throw it into chat. Still haven't figured out a way to get everything deployed into the chat in a more automated fashion. We'll figure something out. So yesterday we talked about Sam Altman being ousted. 
I refer to it as a coup, but purely political, I think. And uh, subsequently, I found others that were talking about this and referring to it as a coup. And what I found really interesting is a lot of people were talking about OpenAI um, being a nonprofit, but that's not entirely true. OpenAI is actually two different entities. The not-for-profit aspect of it, which is pure research, and a limited cap for-profit OpenAI Corporation that at the time of our discussion right now, <clears throat> I believe it's capped at 100 times investment. So if you invest a billion dollars, you can make a hundred billion back. Naturally, I don't think anybody's invested that, but my point is it is not solely a not-for-profit corporation. What I found interesting is that it spawns from a not-for-profit that gained all of its capabilities within a not-for-profit environment. You know, if there were any grants, if there were any uh, tax benefits, if there was anything that was associated with being even the goodwill of being a not-for-profit. And then it broke off a slice and became for-profit, but it's using the technology born from a not-for-profit. So I'm really confused about that aspect of it, but I don't have a subject matter expert um, to discuss it with at this time, um, but I am looking for one. Um, that said, Sam Altman's ouster at OpenAI exposes growing rift in AI industry. Most people that are talking about this are couching the entire discussion in the fact that Sam Altman wanted to do something and discovered in the process of conducting open AI business, researchers that had made great strides at the AI's consciousness, essentially, it became much more powerful, like leaps and bounds more capable than before. So, uh, he talked about it at the OpenAI developer. Um, it wasn't a conference so much as just a presentation of information. Um, and I think that it spooked some people that wanted it to be pure research, not seeking developer or profit seeking or anything like that on the business side. They wanted the, the, the cohort that did the coup basically wanted it to be pure research, but I'm not quite sure. It makes sense if there was a for-profit corporation in the mix. Yeah, that's my dilemma. I'm, I'm stuck because we're all on the outside looking in and I don't even pretend that anybody actually knows even the disclosures that have been made. So let's go over to uh, Washington post. So the Washington post, um, dot com is where this article is stemming from. Sam Altman in talks to return to open AI amid rift over dangers of artificial intelligence. The original title for this was Sam Altman's ouster at open AI exposes growing rift in AI industry. So they changed it at some point. Um, they updated it. 
So the deck statement says Altman's ouster Friday came as a shock to the tech industry and investors have been trying to woo him back. Uh, Garrett DeVink and Natasha Tiku and Pranshu Verma are the authors of this article. And I won't really go into much of this article because there is content in there, but it is very, very fluid. What we do know is that the person, Sam Altman, was basically ousted <laughs> in a 15-minute Google Meet um, where another uh, integral part of OpenAI was not invited. So he was ousted from the board and he was punted as CEO and essentially kicked out. Now, at the time of this, he has no stock. <coughs> Sam Altman has no um, value in the company other than himself being there as the subject matter expert for the company's He's operations. One of the founders. That's shocking. <coughs> I'm sorry for the coughing. Um, he is one of the founders, but of the nonprofit. So technically he has no value. Um, he has no assets in the company. Um, he made all of his money from the th thousands of companies that went through Y Combinator. He's one of the founder. He is the founder of Y Combinator as far as I remember. Um, and so he's done an angel investing and all of this, um, stuff in the past. So he's doing this because he thinks it's a value. Now, if you have tons of money, <laughs> and you can work for 15 years and on something uh, as the, a side gig because you're making more money on your investments than you know what to do with. And you can dedicate yourself. And this actually leads to something else in our discussion later on. Um, the last article that we talk about today is about AP exams. And it actually, what I'm about to say has bearing on that. When you don't have to worry about where your money is coming from, you're pretty damn secure. So the only thing you have to worry about is whatever it is that makes you happy. So in his case, what makes him happy was general AI and focusing on it and making it as powerful and capable as it possibly could be, right? So when they punt him out, he even did a tweet that said, you know, they should really go after my stock, my vested stock because there isn't any. So, <laughs> and, and so immediately upon him being punted, others followed and still others have followed since based on our yesterday's disclosures, even more people have left. Um, well, apparently they're chomping at the bit to bring his butt back. So the next article that we're about to talk about, um, and let's just keep going. <clears throat> is uh, the stock marketeers in stock marketeers over on hometown.com. The article was um, aggregated into their open AI investors trying to get Sam Altman back as CEO after sudden firing says the wall street journal. But this is actually from, I think um, market watch. Yeah. So open AI investors trying to get Sam Altman back as CEO after sudden firing. One of the biggest I think investors. That's fascinating. So, like, the investors aren't on board with what the board's actions were. Oh no! One of the biggest investors is Microsoft, and Microsoft wasn't notified beforehand. 
they found out when that went over well. Yeah. <laughs> Would you like to be on that call? <laughs> uh, so or when they saw the news report or whatever. <laughs> here's what's interesting. When I heard that they that this was basically a slapdash, really really dense decision, I said that board is going to be wiped out. So there's got to be somebody within the board that has preeminent control over it. If it's so evenly distributed that nobody has any uh, control, then it's pure chaos. But there's somebody there that has, you know, half a percentage of controlling um, something in the uh, founding documents, right? So the CEO, if you're the founder, you can't, you're, you can be ousted as CEO because of board and other investors, but if you have controlling share or by agreement in that founding document, that person is the controller. Then even if they start diluting shares and stuff, which doesn't exist in this, in the conventional sense, um, there's some check there. Somebody has to be in control of the corporation. It can't just be by consensus because you never get consensus. You can get a plurality of votes from a group of people and blah, blah, blah. But there's usually somebody there that has a lot of control, voting control. So now they want them back. The, the article over here, it's by market watch. Um, it's, uh, the deck statement says the co-founder of the artificial intelligence company behind chat GPT was ousted by the board Friday by Saturday. There were already calls to pull him back in by Sunday morning. There were people that had left on top of the people that had left. And now there's talk about trying to get him back. But if he comes back, then the board that's there announced to the world that they don't trust him. Exactly. How can those two coexist? They can't, right? Yeah. You have to get rid of the board. Yeah. Uh, the former president, Greg Altman, resigned on Friday when he found out that Sam Altman was um, punted. And um, now if he comes back, it is so imperative. He knows he could be the cockiest person on the planet when he walks back into this place, if he so desires to. But he's in demand, but he's done a lot of great work. I mean, it is the de facto artificial intelligence. Like I wouldn't want the AI that Musk is brewing because it's built off of Twitter, which is basically, you know, the phrase, everybody's got one. It's an opinion and posting it on Twitter doesn't make it right. I want fact-based science bound evidence. I don't want, yeah, you know, if you stick a fluorescent tube up your butt, it'll kill COVID. You know, that's the stupid stuff that you hear. Right. But that's feeding into the AI and, uh, data or whatever, based on use of Twitter. Yep. And, and that's because that's what I've read that it's all being powered by Twitter. Um, and he even says, Musk even says that it's the most real time AI. Like, okay, I don't care about real time. I want, I want facts and real time. So, and that's chat GPT as current as possible, scientifically possible. Well, anyway, now 
if Altman comes back, <laughs> he will have so much power that the people who did this coup couldn't possibly stay. The board can't possibly stay in its current format. It's going to be interesting because I feel like regardless of whether, I mean, obviously if Altman doesn't come back, that's a major impact, but yeah, I just feel like this is a major turning point for this company. Yep. And it's either going to thrive or just completely implode. It could die on the vine within a week because if Altman doesn't come back, the investors were investing in Altman and the engineers that Altman personally interviewed. He interviewed every single engineer from my understanding that went through that door, which means that they all have personal fealty to Sam Altman. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. That's how it was coined to me. Um, me reading that from other places, news agencies and whatnot. But, um, at this point we don't know, or I don't know what the disposition is, um, as of Sunday afternoon, um, today. So. Let's keep going and through. Watch out for stocks tomorrow, right? Regardless of whether <laughs> it's tied to this company or otherwise. Like this is a big shift. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that Microsoft already um, took a hit. I think. Oh, I'd that's have right. To... I guess it was on Friday when yeah, it was. Right there, Microsoft is down 1.68 percent. Which is a pretty big deal for a large company. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so let's keep going. So the next article is over in Omtown Daily. Uh, that's the show, but it's also a channel over at omtown.com. Researchers explored pitch black pits in Yucatan's labyrinthine underwater caves to unlock the secrets of the rivers that provide drinking water to millions. This is one of those very concise article headlines that really I thrive off of. It tells you the whole article in the headline. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a... Uh, a preview for a movie and it's the entire plot including including the ending oh you just ruined everything so yucatan's peninsula uh underwater caves cover about 900 miles it's uh, cenotes and sinkholes are in uh, an important drinking water resource for the region researchers mapped unique communities of microbes in dozens of areas of the cave system so they know where the, the microbes are in this massive underwater cave system. Um, there's only, there's only two things that really freak me out about diving. Um, and I am a diver, a former diver. I've been landlocked for a long time. Um, but, uh, normally I'm cool with diving any environment. <laughs> the one that bothers me the most is caves because you can get lost in a cave real quick um and the other thing is um <laughs> diving you have to dive with a a, a, a buddy most of the time if, if you're doing it right you're diving with a buddy um and um the other thing that spooks me are panic divers that don't have too much experience um so but that's a different animal altogether um, so what you normally do in these caves is you run a line you hook it onto something that like the entrance, um, and then you run a line so that you can, um, trace it back. If you're going to keep on going in and out of the thing, um, sometimes people just explore, but I think it's really too dangerous to do that. 
So um, researchers mapped unique communities of microbes in a dozen areas of the cave system. Um, and it says here, uh, the Sacuctan cave system on Mexico's Yucatan Peninsula contains many wonders from a 13,000 year old skeleton to human artifacts and fossils of giant sloths. This is the one we've actually talked about this. Right. Like, uh, I think my quote was how the hell did a human end up in this cave 13,000 years ago if it was underwater? <clears throat> well, maybe they dove down, couldn't get out just like I was saying can easily happen. So caves and especially these caves are uh, really important underwater resources for everyone that lives there. Magdalena R. Osborne, an associate professor of earth and planetary sciences at Northwestern University told Business Insider. This article um, was put together for businessinsider.com by Jenny McGrath. And um, so what they end up doing is using these bottles here that allow you to go into some area you flip the bottle over so it fills with water nothing escapes it's a one-way valve so that you can get a sterile sample of it uh, so it says getting a, a sterile sample underwater can be tricky because you're kicking stuff up and it's not in situ um, so it's a close approximation of it so they use different technologies i, I think that's this bottle um, I've seen them before, uh, but I've never used them. So you take the sample, it lets you know what the area has in it, and then you can go somewhere else and map out, hey, this is what ends up here. This is what ends up over here. Seems pretty neat. So um, it says here, preserving a critical water resource for millions, Osborne hopes future samples will allow them to sequence more of the microbes genes to learn more about their specific functions within the communities. One consistent bacteria showed up all over the place. It's called uh, Kamanadesia. Uh, I'm probably inflecting that the wrong way, but um, they were found in several locations playing different roles and teaming up with various microbes that one had different partners, depending on which cave system you were in, um, could mean that it has a, what they refer to as a keystone species function within the environment, um, whose presence is fundamental to the health of the ecosystem, the authors wrote uh, in the study. So of course we love to go tamper with everything. Um, for example, she noted that a planned train system from Cancun to the Yucatan Peninsula could affect the cave system. One concern is that diesel could leak into the cenotes. Um, Reuters reported um, groundwater contamination is always a concern. And that's one of the things that really bothered me about the train wreck in um, Palestine, yes. East Palestine, was whatever the contamination was it was always being poo-pooed and you know there's another streamer that said everybody forgot about east palestine well i didn't forget about east palestine there's nothing being reported about it anymore in any substantive way so i can't talk about right, it but it could be impacted for years yeah and i don't think could i think it it is nobody should be nobody should trust the groundwater um, and that community has been devastated and I think it's devastated in perpetuity. And that's what will happen to something like an underground stream system. Because if you 
run a bunch of industrial stuff over it and diesel tanks leak, it's going to eventually drain down into the system. If it drains down into the system, it could make the water toxic to the microbes that make it possible for it to be filtered through the ground and become drinking water, which this eventually becomes. So the organic matter is going to be oxidized either with oxygen or things like sulfate or nitrate. The end product of those things like ammonia and things like sulfide and organic nitrogen compounds, all of those pollute drinking water. There were several articles that appeared in hometown um, that were talking about this. So I chose this one because it's from Business Insider and um, they, they seem to like put this stuff together at a level where it's approachable. Um, the potential for contamination is a problem anywhere. There are caves, Osborne said in Kentucky, she said that they, uh, where she's done a lot of caving people once treated sinkholes like landfills, throwing everything, even the kitchen sink. Um, after a big storm, the underground rivers flood, and then you find washing machines in caves because they just don't go away. They, they end up in the sinkhole. So, um, we have the potential to do great harm out of convenience. And it's something that I say to people, your convenience, your convenience shouldn't destroy something out in the world. You know, your convenience shouldn't make everybody else unhappy. You should be as a human being, your part and parcel to society. You really shouldn't be a tool just because you might get something else out of it, but well, that's another doing discussion. Something like that here is right. It's way beyond impacting one person or even sometimes a local community, because if you start impacting things like groundwater, you yeah. could wipe out entire species, entire ecosystems, lose uh, viable drinking water. I mean, and this is a, this becomes a long-term issue too, right? Cause it doesn't yep. just bounce back. Sometimes it can't bounce back. Yeah, correct. Yep. And so just imagine, you know, Cancun could be hobbled because it no longer has drinking water and it's not something you can bounce back from easily. You have to drain the entire system and remove all of those contaminants. And it doesn't happen like that. You have to wait for nature to remove these contaminants. And if the system is robust enough and those contaminants have changed the very nature of the microbes in the water, it may never, because you can't exfiltrate enough of the contaminant. It just keeps on churning with this poisoned water. Pretty rough. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over in uh, technology today, AI, how it hands power to machines to transform the way we view the world. I find this a really interesting article. Um, it It is what I think happens. Uh, it's talking about what I think happens, which is uh, we as a society train our artificial intelligences and then the artificial intelligences create something that we utilize. And so we are training ourselves via garbage in, garbage out. But we treat the AI as if it's something new and unique, but it's not, it's actually us. We just don't have the mental prowess to make all of the connections that an AI can. Why? Because humans can't multitask. We're creative as hell. 
but we can't do multiple functions with and have an eidetic memory to return absolutely all of the material that we've ever learned uh, or ever are presented with because we can't learn everything we have to bide our time really we there's only so much that we can learn in a in a time frame and some of it goes beyond our mental capabilities but ai there's no limit the only thing that it can't do is feel and that's about to change well it says here there are signs of ai everywhere it's behind everything from customer service chatbots to the personalized ads we receive when browsing online however we remain largely unaware of the hidden algorithms doing the heavy legwork behind the scenes. That's true. Um, so this article is over at Tech Explorer. TechExplorer.com, by the way, is, well, like its name implies, it's tech Except heavy. Except it does not have an E at the beginning of Explore. Oh, yeah. It's a spelling bee. It's the word tech and then the letter X and then P-L-O-R-E.com. Frustrates me, um, but their articles are much more science-based like it's there they go deep tech really quick uh david knights and guy huber over at uh, the conversation put the article together um but it says we are currently working on a research project focusing on conversations with specialists within the field of ai we are questioning them about their thinking and values as well as what ethical considerations they consider most important and why the norms and values of developers can become embedded in the AI systems they engineer. However, they and we are often unaware of this along with the consequences. Yes, this is stuff that we have been talking about for the last two years here on in hometown. Um, <laughs> I have been saying, and many others have been saying it too, who are interested in AI that we're basically consuming garbage um, because what we're putting into the system is getting jumbled up, but there isn't anything that's telling us this is fact. And here's the reference. There's no in-text citations. There isn't a document master that says here, go here. And this is where this fact is from. It's basically a bunch of BS and you have to, as a human go do the due diligence. So I tell people, you might as well just write what you need to write. What do you well, think? we've even seen completely fabricated citations for in certain areas. Um, we've seen a few instances of that in legal cases. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so they talk a little bit more about this. Our daily interactions with AR making us increasingly reliant on it, but the power dynamic in this relationship greatly uh, favors the AI systems. This is a technology whose inner workings aren't even fully understood by its creators. And they link to an article that talks about the black box problem of AI. Uh, this is again, something that I talk to people about. We don't know as consumers, we don't know what it is that's happening. In fact, when you look up machine learning, basically it is a, a geometric pattern of every connection connecting to every other connection. And when you talk to people that are subject matter experts in the field, they can go into the math, but the reality is they don't even know how it gets from point A to point Z because every time you run the same exact algorithm, it'll spit out a different result because of the way that, um, there's different maths involved. Um, and it's basically randomization 
within constraints to, to limit it being just pure chaos. Um, and like, I have a game that's built around this idea, um, but it's human powered. It, it isn't, it isn't, it, it's managed chaos and the game is in uh, its final stages. It needs to be released really. Um, but it kind of follows this. You basically work with a black box to complete something. And that's what we're dealing with, with AI. We really just don't know. And so we're giving into AI's activities and we're treating it as if it is, you know, the golden goose, um, to some degree it is, except that that golden goose is really shiny on the outside, but <laughs> it's smoke and mirrors on the inside. You, we really don't know. Um, yet if, and this is really funny. I've heard this phrase before. If we're all wrong, then everybody's right because everybody's got the same wrong data. Well, I think that's bullshit, but. I think that's even worse, right? Because it can be exponential if you're building off of incorrect data yeah. to build other data or make decisions based on it or whatever it is. Yeah. So if somebody, just because somebody hits it right with AI based financial calculations or something else it it could be the anomaly in the grand schemes of time and space um but i i think that a lot of people are doing tests but you don't hear about the countless errors you only hear about the gems because that's what's newsworthy you don't hear about well, and we hear about the kind of simple or non um non-significant errors right like somebody uses ai to do something like plan a trip but there's not a humongous impact on society for instance right and you hear about the the first movers that use ai to do their you know job application and they didn't read it they just submitted it and they found out that well, they're a fraud and blah, blah, blah. Or you lose your, your license to practice law because you did the same leaned into the AI. So I think that what's ultimately going to happen is, uh, um, with more and more of these errors and, and people finding out empirically that it's a mistake to rely on it, people will start backing away certain things. Uh, standardized chatbots where it's not reliant on creativity. It's basically following a script. It's just very smart in its script. Um, I think that's where AI is going to be limited. So, um, they talk about identity crisis. Um, what has been neglected in this discourse is uh, about AI is how our sense of meaning, identity, and reality will increasingly rely on engaging with the services it facilitates. AI may not be, or may not have consciousness, but it exercises power in ways that affect our sense of who we are. This is because we freely identify with and participate in the pursuits enabled by its presence, i.e. our real-time chats and um, using uh, mid-journey or chat GPT to construct stuff. We're empowering it with, we're nearly anthropomorphizing AI. Um, and along with the tech that we've been talking about this last week, you know, we're traversing the uncanny Valley until we have a robot face. And then we're like, Oh crap. 
Um, but we're humanizing it and we're making it more powerful, both in terms of its capabilities and our reliance on it. Um, and this is stuff that you know, we've been saying here in hometown for two years. Another example was highlighted by Eric and I picked this name on purpose because I don't know how to say it. Um, Bryn Jolson, it might be Brynjolfsson, um, a Stanford economist who has raised the possibility of something called the Turing trap. This refers to uh, concerns that the automation of human activities could leave wealth and power in fewer and fewer hands. In his book, The Turing Trap, The Promise and Peril of Human-Like Artificial Intelligence, Brynjolfsson writes, quote, with that concentration of power comes the peril of being trapped in an equilibrium in which those without power have no way to improve their outcomes. I don't necessarily disagree that that exists, but I don't think that's unique to AI. No, it's not. But it is a technology gap that most people can't traverse because you're still, you're leaning on what somebody else is allowing you to utilize. Whereas there are others that have control, absolute control, and they're getting the benefit of a, the preeminent capability, whereas you're getting a knockoff. And I guess as you go toward more technology, the effects are exacerbated. Yep. Um, there is a lot more in this article, um, but it kind of, uh, what I want you all to do is go over and read more about this. I've kind of given you a tease into what the potential of this is. As we empower AI, it's going to impact our reality. At what point do you say, well, I, I can't tell the difference anymore between what I'm talking to and what is AI. And that's uh, going to be a, a world changing <laughs> um, event when general AI is uh, hints at the at the beginning of sentience where it's thinking creativity, it's thinking creatively. It has sensory information just like a human. And it understand it's told programmatically what pain and pleasure is. At some point, all of our knowledge being imparted into this, where we're interacting like a regular human, it's going to be able to put the dots together <laughs> and say, you know, this makes me unhappy and be able to explain why it's unhappy in its own language, its own words, in its own large language model. It'll be interesting, but, um, that's why we need psychologists and sociologists and anthropologists that are not, not in the hard sciences as it were, right? A, a lot of people say that that kind of stuff isn't hard in science, but we need those people looking at the ethics and morality of artificial intelligence because it will be machines transforming our world um, more rapidly than ever before you know people were like the steam engine and movable type and all of this kind of industrialization is one thing but ai is insidious it it can move in the shadows unknown it can be transferred on a usb stick and becomes the sentient ai for our hometown in the future uh -huh. let's keep going let's watch out <laughs> So this uh, next article is over in technology today. This 3D printer can watch itself fabricate objects. Um, this I have this segment titled 
why do you keep watching yourself? <laughs> kind of like taking somebody, you know, when you were a kid and your, your uh, big brother or sister grabbed your hand and hit you with it. Why do you keep hitting yourself? Why do you keep hitting yourself? That's exactly what it reminded me of. <laughs> this 3D printer can watch itself fabricate objects. It's over at Tech Explorer, Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Um, I love the idea of this. It says with 3D inkjet printing systems, uh, engineers can fabricate hybrid structures that have soft and rigid components, like robotic grippers that are strong enough to grasp heavy objects, but soft enough to interact safely with humans. Unlike the chess robot that broke that little kid's finger when he tried to move a chess piece. Um, yeah. So these multi material 3d printing systems utilize thousands of nozzles on, uh, uh, to deposit tiny droplets of resin, which are smoothed with a scraper or a roller and cured with UV light. They're kind of elaborating on something that is pretty well known technology. Um, but that smoothing process has squish or smear uh, resin that cures slowly limiting the uh, types of materials that can be used. Yeah, it depends on the precision of the device that's doing it. So researchers from MIT and MIT spin out Inkbit and the ETH Zurich and ETH Zurich um, have developed a new 3D inkjet printing system that works with a much wider range of materials. Their printer utilizes computer vision to automatically scan the 3D printing service and adjust the amount of resin each nozzle deposits in real time to ensure no areas have too much or too little material. It's interesting, but that's supposed to already exist. Right. Isn't that how that's, everything is already running? Yeah, that's that's <laughs> that's 3D printing in and of itself already. So but apparently this this new feature is that it's looking at it. And of course, there has to be AI involved in this in some way. There just has to be. Um, it says our key insight here was to develop a machine vision system and completely active feedback loop. This is almost like endowing a printer with a set of eyes and a brain where the eyes observe what is being printed. And then the brain of the machine directs it as to what it should be, uh, what should be printed next. Um, says, uh, co corresponding author, uh, Wojciech Matusik. Hopefully I'm pronouncing their name, right? Sorry about that. If I'm not a professor of electrical engineering and computer science at MIT who leads the computational design and fabrication group within the MIT uh, CSAIL um, program at computer science and artificial intelligence laboratory. So there's your artificial intelligence again. Um, we talked about something like this already um, yesterday or the day before. Um, th the idea here is to be able to print complex structures that are flexible and still powerful. And they've printed, um, a, what they're calling a robotic gripper, like a human hand and controlled by a set of reinforced yet flexible tendons. But the object that we saw printed was actually a hand, a human hand modeled in a, a 3d printing system and then printed with the capability to contract and extend fingers um, and go, go like that. Just like <laughs> it's getting too real. Yeah. That blew my mind. So 
now you're seeing real-time interaction with computer vision that has, allows it to respond so fast that it can change what is being ejected from a, a inkjet printer um, it has fine motor skills uh, sensory perception that already existed and now new sensory technology that allows it to feel feel it, right now it's being told that what this feels like is this but just like now a child distinguish right with the textures exactly yeah i could tell what one texture was from another but we we all take it for granted that we do the same thing but if i were to lay a fabric in front of you that was 800 um what are the strand fiber or yeah right like um like sheets and stuff right so there's different qualities fly or whatever um oh, there's a specific term and it just slipped my mind but um if i hand you one that has 1200 fibers per inch and another one that has you know 300 you may not know that you may not be able to feel the difference but this new sensory technology can and if i give you something that you know nothing about again until somebody tells you what it is you don't know if it's you know nylon or whatever except for your past experiences our artificial intelligence now has the ability to do exactly that it's starting to learn <laughs> what it is so just like burning your hand thread count yes thank you so just like um burning your hand on a stove once you stop doing it robots are now going to have the ability to learn that because they have heat sensors, touch sensors on their skin. It's getting wild out there, folks. And it's made so much more powerful by AI. I would prefer a dumb robot, but here we go. This is going to be an interesting roller coaster. You want to keep going? Sure. Um, so the next article is over in Technology Today. For which tasks is artificial intelligence least well-suited? Well, let's find out. Um, at least, so I have to phrase this. I have to couch this differently than uh, the article probably wants me to. But I don't want people in hometown to think of just today or tomorrow or next year or even five years from now. We're going to be around as human beings for upwards of 80 years, right? That's like the typical lifespan, 80 years. Um, longer for women, that's scientifically proven now. You know, the, the stats don't lie. And, and men apparently die six years sooner. So thinking about next year or two years is pretty uh, self-limiting. So you think about five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line. When I first started using the internet, I was using a 110 baud acoustic coupled modem and now i can broadcast my likeness everywhere on the planet all you need is a receiving station so and it's instantaneous you know nanoseconds in delay that's it so think about the future so for which tasks is artificial intelligence least well suited now it's this list or whatever the conversation is next year this list will be smaller the list might be non-existent depending <laughs> on how fast this 
progresses. Yeah, exactly. Depending on how fast they can get Sam Altman back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, this article's over at theguardian.com. The deck statement says the run the long-running series in which readers answer other readers' questions on subjects ranging from trivial flights of fancy to profound scientific and philosophical concepts. So I haven't read any of this. I haven't looked at this. Um, it's just something that I wanted to grab, and I'm not even sure if there's going to be any content in here. Um, yeah, so this is kind of a sketchy little article. It, it doesn't really have anything in it. Um, is it sketchy, is in questionable, or is in it's a sketch? <laughs> um, I think it's nothing more than comments from people on theguardian.com. So they're talking about skilled trade. Like somebody here says, and uh, Liz Manis is the, the username, um, says skilled trades, nursing, nursing aides, surgeons, veterinarians, dog groomers. And yes, a lot of this is not suited for direct AI, but all of this is augmented. It's not going to take all the jobs. It's going to take some of them. Why? Because gardening... I'm telling you now, there's robots. That already exists, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's robots out there right now. Yard care. I can put a an artificially intelligent robot mower out there and it will mow my lawn. There's other minutiae that's all about fine detail, fine motor skills. But think about five years, 10 years, 20 years from now. Um, skilled trades. I agree. In many cases, you're not going to get artificial intelligence involved in there but it's going to take some jobs, particularly automated. If you're going to be producing the same exact thing, you don't need a human doing the same exact thing over and over again. You will have to pay an arm and a leg to have a uh, saturation master diver uh, dive down to a pipe that needs to be repaired. Um, and they have to be a subject matter expert in multiple skill sets and you're going to pay for it a robot isn't going to be able to do it you know getting a plumber to climb into some pipe nightmare uh and fix something you're going to pay dearly for it because a robot doesn't do it it's all of that personalized stuff exactly the second uh guardian pick here actually gets into that distinction because it says a robot could probably paper a wall but could it cut around light switches paint awkward spaces like banister rails eventually yes i i can guarantee that that's what's going to happen so there's a bunch of uh comments in this um but i'm not going to be able to go into it so let's go on to the next article Uh, so this next article is over in the mobile channel uh, record for world's priciest bottle of whiskey smashed at London auction. Um, I hope the bottle wasn't smashed, just the price. The bottle of the Macallan 1926 described in Sotheby's auction house as the most valuable whiskey in the world on Saturday went under the hammer for a record $2.1 million. The rare bottle had been expected to raise 720,000 pounds to 1.2 million pounds, but it actually dropped a hammer at 2.1 million pounds. That bottle right there. The rare bottle had been expected, but blew it out of the water. 
The uh, sale set a new record for any bottle of spirit or wine sold at auction. One of the Macallan 1926 bottles had set a previous record for the most expensive bottle ever sold in 2019 when it fetched 1.5 million pounds at the same London auction house. It's almost like people are trying to outbid the other person, you know? Um, let's or see. maybe that's inflation. I don't know. Yeah, it says <clears throat> one of the people said, um, wait, who was it? Sotheby's head of whiskey, Johnny Fowl, told AFP ahead of the sale that he had been allowed to sample the prized whiskey. Probably not this particular bottle. Tasted a tiny drop, a tiny drop of this. It's very rich. It's got a lot of dried fruit, as you would expect. A lot of spice, a lot of wood, he said. It had spent 60 years in dark European oak, which was reflected in the color. Um, and then they said it's uh, not to be taken lightly. The bottles are among only 40 that Macallan, based in Moray, northern Scotland, had confirmed were bottled from cask 263 in 1986. Wow. Interesting. Okay. So that's when it was bottled. It's interesting about the tasting, because if there are so few, I wouldn't think anybody would want to open a bottle of this. Yeah, I don't know exactly what he tasted, but um, it's possible that every bottle is a little bit different. I mean, like Johnny Walker bottles um, taste different from time to time. So I don't know. Let's keep going. There isn't much to this article. It's pretty neat, though. People pay an arm and a leg. Uh, this next article is over in hometown daily florida scientists are giving coral ivf treatments to help bolster dying reef <clears throat> yeah so um i always pose a question uh to groups of people where can technology not go been doing that for over 10 years well they can go to coral and give it <laughs> ivf treatments Coral reefs are experiencing mass bleaching and die-off due to climate change. People argue with me about that. Scientists are now looking at ways to toughen them up and bolster their numbers. These methods include temperature-controlled tanks and new breeding methods. After marine heat waves devastated the coral reef off of the coast of Florida, scientists are now considering ways to toughen up coral in the face of rising ocean temperatures. Just imagine a genetically modified coral that can withstand the temperatures and grow unabated if it can handle that the cold. That sounds great. And, yeah. <laughs> Until it keeps growing. <laughs> <laughs> so following a record marine heat wave this past summer, Florida's iconic coral reef experienced massive bleaching and die off. So let's go look at the Business Insider article. Hannah Gedehun is the author over at uh, businessinsider.com. They always have these little takeaway summary kind of things. Um, coral reefs are experiencing mass bleaching and die-off. Scientists are now looking for ways to toughen them up, and these methods include temperature-controlled tanks. We've actually talked about this before, um, where there was a person that was actually in these temperature. They had up on their dock um, a whole bunch of these coral. Right, in... they were basically growing coral <laughs> communities elsewhere or moving them elsewhere and then hoping to put them back. Yep. 
and, and growing more of them. So it was quite fascinating to see that um, really happen. Um, so it says one such method was um, subjecting the coral to gyms. Enox told the publication in these tanks, corals are trained to withstand high temperatures and acidic uh, seawater conditions in waves. The water is also injected with nitrogen and phosphorus, chemical pollutants that often associated with uh, fertilizer runoff that could exacerbate coral bleaching. This was actually shown to be true um, in one of the articles in our um, historical record. They showed that it was runoff that was poisoning the water off of the coast. Um, so it says if we hit corals twice a day with very high stressful temperatures, it toughens them up. Enox told the journal, um, Enox is, um, let's see, scientist here. Let me find Head of the coral program at the Atlantic Oceanographic and Meteorological Lab. There you go. So Ian Enox. Um, let's see. Researchers are also breeding coral on land now to prevent more die-offs and determine which species are more likely to survive human-induced climate change. Quote, if we can breed these corals growing in tanks and produce offspring by the tens of thousands, we can start to have an impact on the problem. Andrew Baker, a principal investigator for the DARPA Hybrid Reef Project, told the journal, Quote, we are great at destroying reef ecosystems. We just need to reverse their trajectory and become great at restoring them. And it, there's no we shit there, okay? There are some people that are causing the die-off. And it's not the common Joe. It just isn't. There's industrial processes that are taking place. And while all of us are working, well, us with common sense, are working towards stopping climate change, <laughs> I just showed you that segment, you know, have you ever thrown a toothpick into a volcano? That's kind of how this is. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> just leave it right there. Yeah. Anyway, um, I hope that coral reef uh, stays looking like this. I loved diving and being able to see this kind of stuff and, um, it would be a real shame if climate change was left unabated. Let's keep going. Uh, the next article is over on Hometown Daily Century. Overdue library book is finally returned in Minnesota. Thank God, not Florida. Um, St. Paul Mayor Melvin Carter says there would be no fine. Well, thank you. This is a uh, abcnews.go.com. Uh, article, but it's from the Associated Press and there's no byline, which is really frustrating. I like giving credit where credit is due. Um, let's see. Titled Famous Composers and featuring the likes of Bach and Mozart, the tome turned up while someone was sorting through a relative's belongings. The St. Paul Public Library checkout slip shows that it was last borrowed in 1919. Minnesota Public Radio reports. <laughs> Wow. It has reached a point where it's not just an old book. It's an artifact. It has a little bit of history to it. It doesn't have a little bit of history if it was lost to the four winds and they didn't discover it until, you know, much, much later. Um, but it says it was last borrowed in 1919. So over a hundred years. You know what? I hope nobody was on the wait list for that book. Yeah. 
There's somebody that used that method back then. <laughs> there's somebody that's 105 and is sitting there going, damn it. That's where that book is. Or actually, wait, how old is it? It's more than 100 years old. It's, um, yeah, 104. Yeah. Oh, but that's funny. The library stopped charging late fees in 2019. So how much do you think it accrued before then? A hundred years of late fees. <laughs> I wonder if anybody did the math. No, no article. It doesn't have anything in it. So there's been a time or two when something like uh, something has come back and maybe it has been checked out 20 or 30 years, but nothing where it's been uh, a hundred years. Pretty amazing. Oldest book ever saw returned. I think it's great that it was saved and the person didn't just chuck it. You know, they had the, the sense to bring it back. Pretty cool. I love it. Okay. Um, last article for tonight over in hometown daily, the college board is raking in cash as it promotes its AP exam among low income students, many of whom are failing it. Um, my understanding of this, and it's not really my understanding of this, um, it has been scientifically proven that if you have to worry about money, if you have to worry about other things in your life, i.e. your existence, um, because you are in a low income environment, um, it negatively impacts your academic pursuits. And so what, it, what can happen is someone can excel in their academia, um, in spite of their economic conditions. Uh, it, but there's a, a whole plurality of things that go on in this, in this discussion. So I'm trying to kind of rein it in, but here's the situation with this. If you are smart enough in high school to take AP bio or physics or math or whatever it is, take the class, take the class. If the school offers you the chance to sit for the AP exam and you get anything less than a three, you're not going to get college credit for it. But as long as you're not the one that has to foot the bill, that's part of what the whole government grant, um, the, the school can get a stipend and allow some people to pay for this hundred dollar test. Um, under those auspices, but this article over at business insider is calling it out because, and it's not them. It's the Washington post. I think that's calling it out saying that the college board is raking in cash as it promotes its AP exam among low income students, many of whom are failing it. I don't think anybody should ever take the AP exam unless they take the AP course that's associated with it. So don't sit for AP bio or computer science or math without taking the AP class in your high school curricula. Don't do it. Why? Because you're going to take the psychological hit of not passing it at a three or better. Um, but if you get a one or two and you've never taken it, then I'm really surprised you're brilliant already. If you're getting a one or two for an AP exam, um, you probably should have taken the course while you were in high school. You can do it early, but it says here in 2023, a record number of low income students took AP 
exams, the college board made about $500 million in revenue as a result. It's $100 a test. The problem, a sizable number of these low-income students didn't pass. Well, you take the test to see if you can pass. You don't take the test because you know you're going to pass. But you can take the, right. the test and attempt. The bigger problem is that there's even a charge for the test, right? Well, and therein lies one of these issues. Because if you're sitting around, suddenly you are fiscally responsible as a citizen and hunting down taxes um, and, and trying to mitigate the expense, then, you know, looking at those pores and removing their ability to advance their life, you know, reach greater heights, better success, change the dynamic. Well, you don't want to do that because there's a 40% chance that they're going to already fall on their face when they're sitting for the test, let alone the reality that it's more like 60%. So for high school students across the U.S., advanced placement courses offer a curriculum that not only exposes them to university-level work, but can give them credits for college should they score high enough on end-of-course end exams. So um, that's not exactly true. You can take an AP class, get high school credit for it, sit for the AP exam, and get college credit for it. It's not either or. It isn't at the end of that class. If you don't pass the AP exam, you don't get high school credit. You still can get high school credit. Uh, the way that they wrote this is, is like they won't get credit. Right. It makes it look like it's almost a double negative. A double hit. Yeah. Uh, end of. It says end of course exams. That's not how it works. Um, at any rate, don't take the AP exam unless a you're brilliant um, in, in high school or you sit for the exam you sorry you sit for the course and you come out at the end of that course with a high grade you know 80 90 I would say 90 or better will almost guarantee you a four or five um, if it was as rigorous as the college level AP exam is John L. Dorman is the uh, author of this article for Business Insider. Um, so the College Board made $500 million, but a arguably large amount of that is actually funded through the government. So schools get um, what amount to grants to allow students to take the uh, AP exam. Says, however, at the College Board has pitched more schools to sign on to the AP coursework and register students for exams. The performance levels for low-income test takers has not dramatically shifted from the early 2000s. 60% of students from this demographic um, only earn one or two out of possible five on the exam, which precludes them from earning college credit for the AP course. Um, in 2023, 38% of all test takers scored one or two with low level students posting higher failure rates. Yet taxpayers this year shelled out at least 90 million to pay for AP exams that a sizable percentage of students didn't pass. So this is according to the New York times. Um, but to me, it's giving students the possibility of passing. 
it shouldn't be they shouldn't be precluded from attempting to pass simply because they are in the lower income bracket of That's students true. plus if you do pass and then you can take off some college credits that's saving tuition correct um but it's that kind of mindset where you don't don't give it to those people because those people aren't going to pass if the only thing you invest in is absolute success the person that would think like this wouldn't believe in fundamental science because you fail more often than you succeed so i, I would that's good science but yeah i would rather have somebody take this test for a hundred bucks even you know <laughs> 90 million dollars worth of attempts if 40 percent uh, i should say 60 percent come out on the other side right 38 percent of all test takers scored one or two with low income students posting higher failure rates okay so how many of that 38%, you know, up here, we saw another data point, which was like 60% of students from this demographic only earned one or two out of possible five points. Oh, how horrible. They're attempting to do something that goes beyond the norm in high school. Most students don't take AP courses. They, but taking the AP, unless I've got my wires completely crossed, which I can verify this week. Um, you can take an AP course, get high school credit and not pass the AP exam. And you still retain your high school credit. Um, and you also wouldn't even have to, I don't think you have to sit for the exam. You don't I know people that went through AP classes and didn't sit for the exam, um, both by word of mouth and because of what I do for a living and myself i was in ap classes but i did not sit for the exams yeah at that age i thought i knew everything and i didn't need to sit for an exam um now i advise people don't be dumb <laughs> you know i think it's just really frustrating so it says the best stuff in education at 98 dollars per exam for u.s test takers ap fees bring in a lot of money for the organization and push the to enroll more low-income students into the program comes at a time where uh, revenue from the sat the college board test that in recent years has become optional for students applying for a swath of institutions has sharply declined but anything that pushes a student above the din of everybody else because there are millions of people that are trying to go to college they are trying to get internships they're trying to get jobs anything that pops their their head out of the noise means benefit to them so a hundred bucks a hundred bucks just because it's a plurality and 90 million p and 90 million dollars worth of 100 dollars shouldn't change the dynamic of this which is there is a person receiving that hundred dollars that could change the their direction in life by passing this one test it confirms that or failing it it confirms their level of knowledge maybe they had test anxiety 
I mean, there was somebody that just recently was um, like suing LSAT or something like that because of the, there were negative conditions during the LSAT and, exactly. and, and they scored low and they're like, well, we are not going to wipe them out. You're going to have to take it again. And they're like, well, <laughs> I shouldn't have to take it again because the negative thing, give me all of my money back and let me do it again. You know, whenever, um, anyway, that's a, another article that's in hometown. So it says, what the if flip side of that though, is that life is never going to give you ideal conditions for anything. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I just wish that people wouldn't have a problem with this because it's couched in the low income demographic, but it was 60% or, or I'm sorry, 40% get one or two or no, no, no. I'm sorry. 60% get one or two out of five. And then it said, it generally said, you know, a, a lot of that is low income. Okay. So why don't you draw out all of the people that weren't low income that received the $100 and grouse about that? You know, well, right. And what, is, how do the stats compare? And is there a way to subsidize the price of the test for people that need it? Because some people won't take the test because it's too expensive or they take it. And even though that's not necessarily a failure, like they'll view it as a wasted money, essentially, if they don't pass the test. Yeah. It, it, all of this just seems really nutty. Overall, at the end of this article, it says overall 5.2 million students sat down for AP exams in 2023, a more than threefold increase from 2002 when 1.6 million students took the exams. Yeah, it's because academic pursuits are now being more appreciated at the high school level because the moment you graduate, you've got everybody converging on a smaller number of institutions and those people are ambitious looking for jobs that require academic pursuit. Meanwhile, there's an entire segment of professional development that is more hands-on applied. You could go to a two-year college, you can go to a community college, um, and get certified as a welder or a plumber, bricklayer, a mechanic, um, HVAC, police, all kinds of places. Um, but there's still a drive and ambition within lower level academics, um, high schools and grade schools to drive people to get a superior education. We should not be hobbling this because of $90 million. Every time somebody takes this test and passes it, they better their future. Every time somebody takes this and doesn't pass it, they are now keyed into that they need to work harder. They need to, if they have the ambition to, to do something about this, they have to work harder. And now they're going to have to spend at least three months of their life taking a class because they got a two instead of a three. And to me, that's a real shame. I mean, if that college level class and their life, um, setting allowed them to concentrate more and not worry about where their meal is coming from, i.e. low income. The safety and security of their neighborhood is not their fault. <laughs> um, the amount of food that they get is not their fault. Uh, I, I think it's really asinine that adults are sitting there 
hemming and hawing about $90 million. When you have a billionaire, anyway. Yeah, but, but I socialism. guess they're viewing it as the board as being opportunistic, given the perceived low pass rates, etc. But the college board is setting a threshold. That's their task. That's their mandate. And colleges accept the college board as setting that foundation because there's a plurality of subject matter experts that are saying this is what we need to hit this threshold for acceptance at the college level. So they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, which is not just accepting everybody. Right. Why? Because there well, is a minimum also threshold. expanding the opportunity to more people, which is a good thing. I mean, this goes exactly. both ways. I'm just making an argument in that direction. Yeah. I, yeah. That it's good that you're, you're, you're drawing home the point that they're trying to make in the article that I just, I, I'm not willing to accept that this is some the conspiracy to profit off of high school students and maybe, you know, grant money because there is federal grant money, state and federal grant money goes to schools so that they can offer up to select students, the ability to sit for an AP exam. They have to hit certain metrics requirements, but, um, well, and I like this article because I don't think we've seen anything. We've seen stuff about standardized tests, certainly, but I didn't remember seeing something about AP exams. Yeah, we, we've never really spoken about it. So I think um, AP exams are great. Um, and if you as a student or a parent who feel that their student is uh, capable of taking an AP exam, look into it and, and in high school, let them take it. There's several different AP classes that transfer directly into college. Uh, should you get a three, four or five on the exam? Um, ones or twos get kind of punted. So, um, unless something has changed, uh, uh, three, four and five are the accepted, um, number. Heck, it might actually depend on the school. You know, you go to a, a four year that is in great demand. They may say you have to get a four or five. Uh, but anyway, ta-da, that's it for today. Um, there's a whole bunch more news over in hometown. So we always get back into the party bus and drive all the way back down Main Street, and mash that sign on the way out and go, oh, look, a whole bunch of uh, new articles. Oh. Um, let's see. Oh, geez. You know, I can't even pause the scroll. Um, yeah. They talk about all seven planets of the Star Wars original trilogy. Yay. Might be interesting. Um, Dwayne Johnson's next movie role will break his four year box office drought. There's a lot of talk about Dwayne Johnson right now over on Reddit. Oh, I didn't know that. The um, apparently Severance has a goat department. <laughs> what? As in the greatest of all? No, yeah. it's not written that way. <laughs> oh no, goat department. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, the article actually grabbed a lot of content. Or it's not the article. The aggregator grabbed a lot of content that has to do with the continuity report, which is uh, about uh, movies and and. Uh, TV shows and stuff like that. So, um, that just happened. Beyond sitting, any activity boosts heart health, even sleep. 
Oh, well, I'm going to go power nap. See ya. Okay, everybody, that's it. We're done for today. Thank you very much for hanging out in chat. If you're in chat, I am Marewatch. That is hometown.com. And up there is the Ring of Sentience. The ever I need to put a little eye in there and that you could be like the eye of Sauron always watching. Oh, that would be cool. Oh, no. That, really that would created, fit well with my Terminator body. Created a monster. Just dropping that little. <laughs> you saw nothing. Okay, that's it. We're out. You want to say bye to everybody? Good night, hometown citizens. We will see you tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern because it'll be Monday. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't know Monday. if we're going to adjust times this week. In the U.S., we have a holiday on Thursday. Are we going to do it we at do. the normal time? Yeah. I'll coordinate with the AI and let everybody know. But I don't know. I don't really see a reason to. So. Okay, that's it. See you tomorrow, 8 p.m. Eastern. Bye-bye, everybody. Thank you.